It's the Legal Toolkit with Jared Correa. With guest Stanley Tate, a round of Chicago versus Kansas City, and then Jared reads selections from his dream journal. Make sure no kids are listening. This stuff gets gross. But first, your host, Jared Correa. It's the Legal Toolkit Podcast, even though I don't even own a pair of pliers. I'm your host, Jared Correa. David Letterman was unavailable. His beard finally consumed him. I'm the CEO of Red Cave Law Firm Consulting, a business management consulting service for attorneys and bar associations. Find us online at redcavelegal.com. I'm the COO of Gideon Software, Inc. We build chatbots so law firms can convert more leads and conversational document assembly tools so law firms can build documents faster and more accurately. You can find out more about Gideon at gideonlegal.com. Before we get to our interview today with Stanley Tate from Tate Law on niche practices, I want to talk about Norm MacDonald, a massively underappreciated comedian who recently passed away. Whenever anybody dies, people fall all over themselves to address as many superlatives as they possibly can. So it was when Norm MacDonald passed away recently after a long secret battle with cancer, which was very much like him. All of a sudden, Norm was the best late night talk show guest ever, the best SNL weekend update host ever, the funniest Canadian ever, et cetera, et cetera, so on and so forth. Now, while I do agree that Norm was great on late night TV, especially with Conan O'Brien, and he was certainly my favorite weekend update anchor. I mean, anybody who gets shit canned for making too many jokes about OJ Simpson is all right in my book. Uh, he's definitely not the funniest Canadian ever at least as long as Jim Carrey's in the building. But you know about that. I've talked about that previously. That all being said, it's still a pretty strong resume. Now, you wouldn't immediately think of Norm MacDonald as an almost sinister comedian because he was so deadpan, but he kind of was. I always thought of him as a more subversive version of Bob Newhart, if such a thing exists. And with all the effusive praise coming out now, You'd think everybody was in on the Norm MacDonald experience right from the start, sitting there with him in the comedy club. But that wasn't the case at all. Norm MacDonald was never mainstream in the way that Adam Sandler or Chris Farley were. Hell, even as mainstream as David Spade was. And that was part of what was cool about being a Norm MacDonald fan. It was like a secret club. A lot of people didn't seem to get it. Uh, maybe that was partly because he made a lot of people feel uncomfortable about his comedy in the vein of Andy Kaufman. Uh, but Andy Kaufman was a fucking weirdo. Norm was a little bit more norm Oh, He just had this edge, and he was kind of a dick, and I was here for that. Now, one thing you never hear about Norm MacDonald, even after he died, was how he was a great movie actor. He wasn't a great movie actor, but he made one great movie. In fact, I think Norm MacDonald's Dirty Work came out in 1998, was his magnum opus. You probably haven't seen Dirty Work. That's okay. Why would you watch it? If you went to the Rotten Tomatoes page for the movie, you would see that as a 14% rating. That's not good. Three of the critical reviews are just blank, like they say nothing at all. And here's a sampling of some of the others. A stupid, low-down, vulgar comedy. Bob Graham, San Francisco Chronicle. Don't bother to hang around for the outtakes. They're not funny either. Lawrence Van Elder, New York Times. Not great when you get panned on both coasts. 
A screamingly awful, achingly unfunny comedy. Look at that prose coming in hot from Mark Savlov of the Austin Chronicle. Uh, Those were the good reviews that I just read, by the way. And Mark Savlov really needs to get laid, but that's a story for another day. Now, the thing is, Dirty Work is easily, easily one of the best comedies from the 90s. And there were a lot of great comedies in the 90s. I put it up there with Office Space, Billy Madison, Tommy Boy, the American Pie movies, Clueless, Friday, Dumb and Dumber, Wayne's World, Mall Rats. Just for some context, Adam Sandler's You Don't Mess with the Zohan, which is one of a number of like objectively terrible Adam Sandler movies, has a 37% rating. It's apparently three times better than Dirty Work, at least according to Rotten Tomatoes. So you know what? Fuck Rotten Tomatoes. I think people didn't like Dirty Work because they thought Norm MacDonald was a really shitty actor. Only I don't think he was acting. I think he was just being Norm MacDonald in a movie. And that's one of the things that makes his performance so generally funny. It's like the opposite of over the top. But Dirty Work also has a great plot that's actually pretty inventive. So there's two long lost brothers who start a revenge for higher business, dot, 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 hilarity ensues. Long lost brothers, you say? Yes. When someone in the movie is surprised to learn that Mitch, which is Norm MacDonald's character's name, is actually Sam's brother and asks him about it, Mitch says, it's a long story. And Sam breaks in with, my dad boned his mom. To which Mitch replies after a beat, okay, it's a short story. And it's like that the whole movie. Literally every joke lands in his top quality. One after another, after another, after another. I could repeat every line of dialogue in this film. And it's honestly impressive, even watching it 20 plus years after it came out. Just to be clear, for those listening at home with children, every joke, every joke is offensive. But you probably already knew that. And the rest of the cast is pretty good too. So Chevy Chase is in the movie. He plays a doctor who's very, very bad at gambling. Uh, So bad that he bets against Rocky in the Rocky movie. What I don't understand, he says, is when you owe a bookie a lot of money and he, say, blows off one of your toes, you still owe him money. Doesn't seem fair to me. Rest of the cast, also very solid. Jack Warden is Mitch and Sam's dad. John Goodman is the mayor. Adam Sandler is the devil, and Gary Coleman is his minion. Yes, you heard that right. Christopher McDonald's in the movie, too. You may know him as Shooter McGavin from Happy Gilmore. He's the bad guy. Chris Farley is one of the barflies. Uh, Don Rickles owns a movie theater. David Koechner is a used car dealer. Trailer Howard from Boston Common is Mitch's girlfriend. Oh, and Bob Saget, fresh off of Full House and America's Funniest Home Videos, he was the director. So spoiler alert, this did not lead to a successful directing career for Bob Saget, but I probably didn't need to tell you that either. Also, the movie prominently features many 90s hits. Dear to my heart, Third Eye Blind is in there with Semi-Charmed Life. Chumbawamba even makes an appearance. Those are the jams. Back in the day, and well, frankly, still. Yeah, for all that, no one respects this movie. And that's what hurts the second most, the lack of respect. Now, Norm MacDonald's not making any more movies, but Dirty Work is available to stream on HBO Max. Of course, it's on the shittiest streaming platform, this side of Quibi. But if you're one of the very few proud subscribers of HBO Max and can actually get the damn thing to load, check out Dirty Work. Or I guess just wait until it inevitably moves over to Netflix. This is a largely undiscovered comedic gem. I mean, what's the worst thing that could happen if you decide to give it a shot? 
It's at least as good an idea as placing dead fish around the Southern California mansion of a prolific drug dealer. What could go wrong? Now, before we talk to our guest, Stanley Tate of Tate Law, about niche practice, Joshua Lennon has some freshly squeezed statistical nuggets for you from the Clio Legal Trends Report. That's right, everybody. It's the long-awaited Clio Legal Trends Report Minute. We'll be back in a second. Or a minute, I suppose. Here's a fact. 58% of your clients want their lawyers to use more technology. I'm Joshua Lennon, lawyer in residence at Clio. What does this data mean for you and your law firm? It's an indication that client expectations are shifting, and a lot of this shift is being driven by technology. According to industry data, in the past year, 52% of clients say they use more types of technology than ever, and 50% say they've become even more comfortable with that technology. When it comes to working with a law firm, over half want to meet through video conferencing and handle their documents electronically. Law firms that don't adapt to the shifting needs of their clients will inevitably fall behind. To learn more about what clients today are looking for and much more, download Clio's Legal Trends Report for free at clio.com forward slash trends. That's Clio spelled C-L-I-O. All right, let's get to the burnt ends on this plate of barbecue from Oklahoma Joe's. It is this podcast. It's time to interview our guest. My guest today is Stanley Tate, principal of Tate Law. Stanley, how are you doing? Welcome to the show. Oh, man, chilling. Thanks for having me. How's everything on your end? Good, man. Good. Uh, we, had a, we had a wasp infestation in the house. So there were bees all over the house last night, but it's been resolved. So I'm doing pretty well. Oh, I'm glad that worked out for you. <laughs> Thank you. Me too. So I got to tell you, man, like I had a bunch of people recommend you for the show because they saw you do this presentation at ABA Tech Show on uh, niche practices. And I heard it was awesome. So I want to explore that issue with you. I, there's a rumor also that you are giving away cookies. Is this a real thing? So not giving it away, right? But <laughs> as part of the whole thing, like I, I operate with this principle that you have to believe your business is going to be successful, even when there's no evidence of it, in order to <laughs> deliver rock star customer service. So as part of believing that I'm going to be successful, I was like, hey, I want to give my clients cookies when I onboard them. I want to give them something. And then I was, th I was thinking, I didn't want business cards. I didn't want that. And I was like, wait, how do I get someone to hold on to my contact information that's not a business card? And I was like, mm. no one throws away cookie tins. <laughs> and I was like, yo, let me see if I can find someone to ship out cookie tins with cookies in them. And it just so happened I found this company that does it. And it's worked out great because, like, the added benefit of uh, these cookies, they cost me, you know, a handful of dollars, whatever. Yep. But then I send them to clients. And if I make a mistake, I'm the dude that sent them cookies. Like, it's hard to be <laughs> mad at me. So, like, that, that's the approach that I take with it is, like, you want to deliver rock star service, but it also has an added benefit. If I ever mess up, I give you a cookie. Shut up. <laughs> I love that. That's great. I think, the, I think the first part of that is really important, too. And I want to highlight that for people who are listening, which is that, like, you got to believe in the business regardless of what state the business is in. And you got to crush it on the customer service side, without a doubt. Yeah. Has anyone ever refused cookies at any point in time in history? Probably not. No, you're right. No, no one's ever refused cookies. You know, you, of course, you send them to people that are on like keto or something like that. And so they give them to the kids or to whatever. 
And right. that's the risk you run, but that's such like a small risk that the benefit greatly outweighs it. So you don't worry about it because it's an unexpected gift on your part. Right. Right. Nobody's going to be, even if they're on keto, nobody's going to be like, you sent me cookies, asshole. It's never going to happen. Right. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about, so you've got a really interesting practice. You focus exclusively on student loan law, right? Yes. And that's a federal practice area, really cool spot to be in. So you, you're all dialed into this niche practice. So this notion of niche practice, I think, is important for law firms because it does a lot of things. It reduces competition. It makes it easier to sell yourself and be more authentic. Can you talk a little bit about the value of a niche practice for you and why you decided to get into this particular practice area? Yes. So the way I thought about it, it's like uh, Seth Golden has the book uh, Purple Cow, right? Like a book about marketing. And the whole concept is just you want to be something that stands out. And too many lawyers I saw that launched their own firm, they are jacks of all trades. And so you're trying to be Cheesecake Factory, but you can't out-cheesecake Cheesecake Factory. (laughs) There's no way you can do everything great. So from my perspective, I was like, let me focus on something that I could be great at that has the possibility, the potential for scale. Mm. And when I was looking at things, it started off like, oh, I'll just do bankruptcies. And bankruptcies are scalable to an extent. But the problem is, for the most part, you're stuck in the area for marketing, wherever you're located at, unless you try to do a national practice. But that brings its own headaches. So I was like, okay, with student loans, I can pretty much do that all over and then also there's less competition there because people are like, I don't know what to do with it. We have an aging population <laughs> of, inter- of consumer lawyers who didn't want to tackle it. You had new lawyers who were coming up that didn't even know it was an area of law. Like, I didn't know it was one either. And right. so it was just, it was ripe for opportunity. Plus, all the other dudes, there was like a, a handful of people who were doing it. It was either nonprofit legal service organizations or a couple of like dudes who didn't look like me. And, yep. Or didn't have my personality. I was like, I have an a, a opportunity to stand out here and make a name for myself. So that was the whole mindset that I, I took into it. And it's been like a, a, a huge reward for me. I think that's awesome. I think, I think I'm sensing a theme here also as well. We're talking about cookies. We're talking about Cheesecake Factory. I'm definitely willing to go down that rabbit hole. Now I'm getting hungry. Let me ask you, I was looking on your website a little bit. And I thought it was really interesting how you picked this niche practice, right? Because there's a little story behind that. Like you said, you, you weren't you weren't in law school or you were in the military as well. You weren't like, hey, when I get out, I'm going to be a student loan lawyer. That kind of, it kind of fell into that a little bit, right? And that's okay. Like, I'm just interested to hear the origin story behind that. Well, I mean, it's not all that eventful, right? I, I guess I could be like these corporations <laughs> and make up a cool origin story later. But like, <laughs> at the end of the day, I went to law school to get paid and like, I want to get paid legally. How do I make the most money doing the least amount of work? That is my goal. And so I started to think through what does that look like? But then I also realized I actually don't really want to make the most amount to do the least because personal injury doesn't interest me at all. So what can I do? Also super competitive. Right. Also competitive. But I was like, what can I do? So as I was ending on my federal clerkship, uh, one of the attorneys, well, the bankruptcy attorney, he had a student loan question at, at some CLE. And he was like, dude, what's it, do you know the answer to this? And I just so happened to know the answer because I had just dealt with the issue myself. He said, man, you should really focus on student loans. We have no one here that does this. 
you would be primed to do it. And I was like, why me? He said, because you're look around, you're the youngest person in the room. And I was like, true, <laughs> true. Okay. You're like, fair, fair then, point. <laughs> you're right. But then there's a difference between someone telling you there's an opportunity for legal services versus opportunity for you to get paid. Because you still have to be able to market and figure out how to monetize something that didn't really exist. Yes. Right. Like, yeah. and so you have to figure that piece out. And that's a hard part. There's people who churn out these courses that teach you all about student loan law, but no one teaches you how to make money. And that's really what we need to focus on. How do you make money in a way that makes sense for you? And so that's been the, after I got down with the law part, I understood and how to do it. I spent most of my energy understanding how to make money from what I was doing. It's shocking to me, even at this point, how many lawyers like come out of law school and they're like, I'm like, what do you want to do? And they're like, oh, I want to help people. Like nobody takes that mindset into it that like, I'd like to help people and oh, by the way, also run a business that's profitable. Um, <laughs> so I love that you bring that, you bring that into it. Let me. Dude, I'm from, I'm from Chicago, man, like from the hood. <laughs> like, so like, honestly, like this is, this is an opportunity to change my stars. Like that movie, A Knight's Tale with uh, old boy Heath Ledger, right? Like yes. you change your stars. That's what the law provides me. Yes, I get to be helpful, but if I just cared about being helpful, I could be a damn barista at Starbucks. <laughs> like I want to get paid doing this. So how, let me figure that part out. And it sounds crazy because like we're all about the money, but that's not really it. What it is is money provides security, and I never want to be broke again. I never want to worry about my home security, my food security, my family security. So the law oh. affords me to do that. I totally get it. Like I, I take a similar approach. My family was poor growing up too, and I think you have a different mindset when that happens. <laughs> Let's extend this conversation a little bit because I think this was interesting. So like. You've talked a lot about the benefits of a niche practice. I think people generally understand those now. But I think the hardest part for people is starting it up because the the beauty of like a general practice for most attorneys is they can take any case they want. I think it's very hard for attorneys to focus on a specific practice area and turn down work. Like how do you get past that? Because that's a real significant hurdle. Well, so I didn't start off just like I'm only doing the one thing. But what I made sure was that Anytime I introduced myself, I introduced myself as that one thing. But then my friends, whoever, they knew I was a lawyer. And so they'll come on and be like, hey, can you help out with this contract? Can you do this or whatever? Can you handle this traffic ticket? Cool. And I did that. And I used to run around town like my clients say, oh, I got $50 for you. Dude, I would drop everything and go chase down that $50 (laughs) and go get it. Because if it didn't go to me, it was going to like somebody else. So like I need to go get that money. Right, right, right. But you do that with the understanding that you have to market yourself for what you are becoming and you have to keep your focus there. And so that was always my focus. And slowly over time, I built up enough rep where I started getting enough leads and opportunities for just student loans that I could fully abandon doing all other areas of law. And so that took me four years to do that. Mm. And but it, it it was worth it because like, you know, you go through that struggle and it makes me appreciate the opportunities that I have now to just focus. And it feels so crazy because like someone's like, oh, I got some money for you to do this thing. And you know you can do it in 10 minutes. But then you're like, actually, that takes away from all this other stuff I want to do over here. So I'm going to say no to that. And <laughs> right, right. it feels good because you're not operating from a position of hunger anymore. You're operating from a position of security. You know you're going to be okay. So you can say no to things. Yeah. You get a little bit of that grind in you, though. Still, I can feel it. I think that's well, great. The grind, the, grind, the grind is different now. The grind now is 
I want to see if I can make a million dollars a year as a solo attorney with no help. Can I do that? That's the grind. And you got to set goals for yourself. Will I get it? I don't know. But like, that's the goal I have for myself because I want to see, can it be done? I feel like you can get it. Can be done. And you're probably the guy to do it. We'll see, bro. That's my goal. One thing I take from this too is a lot of lawyers, I think, feel like everything they do, everything at a website, for example, has to be focused on like anything and everything they could do. But what you said, which I think is really interesting, is like, I focus most of my marketing on this one thing, but I was taking cases on the side. And maybe that was personal relationships, but that wasn't necessarily something I was focused on. And I think a lot of people have trouble getting past that as well. That's a, that's a mindset shift for a lot of people, I think. Yeah. And, but the way I have to think about this is when you're first starting out or, you know, doing your own thing, your one resource that you have is time. But that's a finite resource. So you have to figure out how you're going to debit it up. I knew right away that I was going to focus on search engine optimization, organic traffic, because I knew I was going to be able to continue to get leads from that from an article that I worked on six months ago, nine months ago. And I, I go down this path to say, when you know you have a finite amount of time, with my website, I wanted to make sure I wrote my blog post on a thing that I knew I wanted to do and I wanted to focus there. Because if I focus on everything, then I couldn't focus on one thing and, and establish dominance, establish knowledge, establish that you're an expert at something. So I wanted to focus all of my time there because I couldn't afford to hire content writers or anything or the writers I could right. afford, they sucked. So like, no, I got to do this myself <laughs> and I need to be precious of my own time and make sure I'm focused on it ultimate goal. An ultimate goal for me, I knew I wanted to do student loan law because I saw the opportunity. That's like a double barrel shotgun though, because like if you've got the niche and then you can also be authentic within that niche, that is killer. And I would recommend that people look at your website because by the way, I thought it was really well done and you can see your personality coming through. And I think this is the other aspect of it too. Like a lot of lawyers out there, they're afraid to show personality And they're pretending to be a type of lawyer that they've seen on TV or they assume lawyers act a certain way and they try to act that way. So being yourself is really important, too, I think. Yeah, that's the hard part to get comfortable with. But here's the thing. I'm a six foot seven, 300 pound black man. Like I have to be mean when I show up because I'm going to be seen. And so either I'm going to be myself and be okay with that, which means there are going to be some clients who are turned off by you and say, nope. But that means they're not your client. And that's okay. So yeah. long as you have enough people who are saying, no, this is the type of guy I want to roll with. And so, like, my onboarding, like, and I care so much about onboarding. I think people kind of, lawyers suck in particular at onboarding Oh, man, people. I just talked about that in the last podcast. It's terrible. Disastrous. Yeah, it's, it, just, it just sucks. But I want to let you know right away who I am, what I stand for, what it is I do, so you can make a decision up front. Do you, I want to work with this person? And because that makes everything easier about how we communicate. I don't hate communicating with you then because I get to be me. I get to cuss. I get to be a little bit flippant. I get to cut you off because that's how this is going to go. <laughs> Six, seven, you're definitely the tallest person we've ever had as a guest on the show. <laughs> There's got to be some kind of award for that. I'm going to send you a tin of cookies. I, I want to ask you one more thing. And this is not germane to the niche practice conversation, more to more to like the practice itself rather than running the practice. You hear all this talk about student loan forgiveness. It's in the news all the time. 
Can I ask you a little bit about that? What's your take on that? Do you think that cuts into your practice at some point? Do you think it ever happens? All right. So truth, like when Biden, before Biden, when Bernie, like in Liz Warren were out there, I was like, oh, bro, like I might be losing my practice. <laughs> and it, you start thinking like, you know, truth. I was like, this is how slave owners felt back then when the law was changing on them. Like, oh, my whole yeah. business model is going away. What do I do? <laughs> but it's actually good for the population, but I don't want it to change. I still yeah, want it to be. Yeah, yeah. Can we hold off for about 15 years? <laughs> right. So I, I, I was sympathetic with, you know, a, a white dude in Georgia in 1700, you know, 1800. So like, <laughs> but the way I looked at it is once Biden was in office, Biden is someone who pulls towards the central. And Yes. There's just a far left that's loud crying for student loan forgiveness. And I get it. I get the argument. There's some valid points there about the cost of education, about how we run the programs. Mm-hmm. But then you have to convince not only Republicans, but then moderate Democrats to agree to give something to their neighbor, to say, I'm going to forgive X amount of loans. And I think that's a hard argument to make. And the question is, is Biden willing to use his chips on that versus his transportation package or something right. else? So I think what we're going to see is change to the bankruptcy code itself to allow discharge of student loans in bankruptcy. Because I think totally we all agree that. that that's fair. That's a fair approach. Mm-hmm. And then if we do offer any loan forgiveness, I think it's going to continue to be targeted to those extreme cases like ITT Tech, Corinthian Colleges, and things of that nature. But yep. you went to a school and you overborrowed for your income. I don't think that's something we tend to agree with in society across the board. Yeah, it'd be hard to get everybody on board with that. Exactly. I think so. And I don't think they're going to use their chips on that. That's my perspective. Yeah. But hey, if I got to pivot... Bro, what I learned running this practice, it applies to so many different areas of law. So I'll be fine. I'll just have to switch it up. I love it. This is great. Hey, Stanley, you were awesome. That's Stanley Tate from Tate Law. Stanley's coming right back. We'll take one final sponsor break so you can hear more about what our sponsors can do for your law practice. Then stay tuned for the rump roast. It's even more supple than the roast beast. Partner with Rankings.io. The marketing agency for law firms that want results, not excuses. With flat rates for Google ads, a track record ranking attorneys for the most competitive terms on Google, and a team always easy to reach by phone, even during off hours, Rankings.io is the agency of choice for firms that want the rankings, traffic, and cases other law firm marketing agencies just can't deliver. Visit Rankings.io for a free consultation and start seeing your firm grow. Contract automation isn't a trend, it's a strategic imperative. Though big players in the e-sign world will make you believe implementing it will cost you big bucks and more than a few headaches, it doesn't have to be that way. DocuB is an easy to onboard, full suite of products that includes e-signature, brilliant workflow capabilities, and AI contract automation at nearly half the price of those out-of-touch behemoths. The one thing DocuB doesn't automate? Their customer service. Visit get.docub.com slash contracts to set up a call with a real live person. DocuB will be with you every step of the way. Simplify. With Cosmolex, the only fully integrated practice management solution. Everything you need, 
accessible anywhere. Trust and general accounting is built in, so you don't need QuickBooks. Cosmolex's Money Finder reminds you to bill for work you put into client matters so you don't leak money. That's messy. Lower cost, better business, and less frustration. Yes, please. It's all built in with Cosmolex. Free trial and take 20% off your first year at Cosmolex.com. All right, everybody, welcome back. Yes, once again, it's the rear end of the legal toolkit, the rump roast. It's a grab bag of short form topics, all of my choosing. Why do I get to choose? Because I'm the host. Stanley, we've been talking a lot about food during this podcast, and I think I'm going to extend that a little bit. Do you remember, this is like a national holiday in my house. You remember when Kentucky Fried Chicken came out with a double down sandwich? No, what, what, what sandwich was that? So listen to this. People were like eating too much bread, too much gluten. So instead of bread, let's have two chicken breasts as the bread for a sandwich and then put cheese, bacon, and sauce in the middle. Keto before keto. That's what I'm talking about. (laughs) Sometimes it's keto and sometimes not. They actually have a Canadian version that has a waffle in the middle of it, which I have not tried yet. Oh, man. That's wild. (laughs) Sounds amazing to me. So I want to double down on this show. So... Prior episodes, we've talked to guests about where they live and stuff they like or dislike about those places. But as you mentioned in the first half of the show, you're a Chicago guy. You've recently relocated to Kansas City. So I think this presents a very unique opportunity for us to ask you about both places to cover your roots in Chicago and how you feel about Kansas City so far. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to do a little travel guide stuff for those towns. You willing to go there for us? Yeah, sure. Let's do it. So let's stick with food. You were a Chicago guy for a long time. What's the best deep dish pizza in Chicago? See, I'm a fan of Eduardo's, which is on the north side. Some people say Gino's East, you know, but Eduardo's is nostalgic to me, which is like past Loyola, uh, super north going towards Evanston. Um, I really like that. But if I'm going to choose a pizza, I'm probably going to choose Home Run Inn pizza. It's not deep dish. It's a thicker crust. All right, let's go go off the book. That's fine. Yeah. So Home Run Inn, south side over by... um, the White Sox Stadium, that. But then my all-time favorite, like, hood classic Italian fiesta. And all you get is, like, if you're from Missouri, you get, like, the Emos. It's kind of like that, but just way better with actual real cheese because, like, Provel <laughs> shit is not a real cheese, but whatever. But <laughs> Italian fiesta is the piece to go to. However, I'm sure many of your listeners probably ain't traveling in 79th King Drive to go out there, so they're probably staying down Rush area. If it were right. me, I'm ordering a home run in or I'm going to get uh, Geno's East. I knew you would crush this. Okay, so let's switch to Kansas City. What's the best barbecue in Kansas City so far? So far, so I did like the whole tour, right? So like you do like the thing on a Saturday where you go like check out three different spots and you're checking out their brisket, sausages, whatever. Right. The thing I hate here, before I answer your question, I hate (laughs) that they slice the sausage thinly so you don't get like a whole link or like a quarter link and which is like crazy to me so you get this thin like paper thing which is like ridiculous but whatever oh i feel you yeah i, I don't like that either <laughs> yeah Go arthur ahead. bryant's is probably my favorite but from my perspective i think kansas city barbecue is kind of overrated i'd rather have oh, barbecue boy. from snows down in texas down in austin or i'd rather go a hole in a wall there's this place in south carolina Oh, dude, I saw him in New York Times. I forget the name, but it's so good. The barbecue. <laughs> Kansas City barbecue is okay. It's good, you know. But I think for the longest time, it was the only thing. So you got to support your only thing. But right. now there's so many other food right. opportunities here. 
because I, I lived here before when I was in the military, uh, stationed up at yeah. Fort Leavenworth. And there was really nothing here back in 2004, 2005, 6. And now, <laughs> 2000, you know, 21, there's all these wonderful restaurants and cocktail bars here. So if anyone ever comes to Kansas City and they were like, hey, can we hang out for drinks? Come hit me up. I'll take you on the best tour ever. We can go drink all the bourbons and whiskeys. <laughs> all right. Hold that thought. I'm going to ask you about cocktails, too. Let me ask you this. Okay. Missouri, have you tried frozen custard yet? I have. Do you like it better than ice cream, less than ice cream? Like, it's a, it's an acquired taste for people, I feel like. Well, so I'm a fat boy, so, like, all sugar and, like, fat works for me. So, like, it doesn't really matter. Gelato, I'm right there with custard, you. whatever. <laughs> um, I, I really love Ted Drew's on a summer night. It, there's something to be said just about the atmosphere of it all going to pick it up and the way they yeah. fold it in with the concrete-type style situation. I love it. I've been, I've, I've been to Missouri a bunch, actually, believe it or not, even being from the I've been to Missouri probably, like, 25, 30 times. Love it out there. There's a place called Lambert's. I don't know if you've ever been there. Yeah. Where they throw the Dude, dinner rolls at you. Yeah, throw rolls, baby. <laughs> throw rolls. Dude, I'm I telling you, if there's any like fat thing that exists, I have been there to try it. <laughs> except for the KFC Double Down. You got to hit that up next. Except for, <laughs> except for that, yeah. That, I wasn't doing it. I've never been a KFC fan. Like, I'm always Popeyes. Yeah, or, no, I get it. Or you get three wings fi- fried hard in Chicago with mild sauce, so. Okay, let's let's shift because I know there's something else you like as well. You're a sports guy. So what's your favorite team of the Chicago sports teams? Oh, the Bulls, man. Hands down. Were you like big fan in the 90s with Jordan? Yeah, I was a teenager when when Mike and Scotty and Rodman and Horace and all those guys were coming up. And that's and I thought I was gonna be a, I thought I was gonna be a, a pro ball player until I played next to NBA athletes and you realize those dudes are aliens. And it's like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm not. <laughs> have you played this. like Have you played like pickup with NBA guys? Yeah, so I, I was a pretty decent hooper at one point, and I thought I had a shot. But you have a shot until your uh, your circle changes. And I played in a pro am with a couple of uh, NBA athletes, and I was like, yeah, no, uh, these dudes are unreal. <laughs> I remember I was playing against Omeka Okafor, and this dude, he's like in a slow job, and I'm in a full sprint trying to keep up with this dude. And then he jumps, and I jump, and I'm coming down, and he's still going up. And I was like, yeah, no, this ain't for me. You're like, Okafor is like 7'3", wasn't he? He was huge. No, he's he's only like 6'10". People stretch things out. Yeah, he's not that big. Omeka Okafor, he's tall, but he's just athletic. All right, Chicago Bulls, solid choice. What about Kansas City? Now that you're in Kansas City, have you adopted any of those teams or do you follow any one more closely than the other? I follow the Chiefs. I'm a football fan more than any other yeah. sport, uh, yeah. but I follow the Chiefs mostly because they're fun. And it's yeah. it, like when you watch the Ravens game, the Ravens Chiefs game the other day, there was no doubt in your mind that if the Ravens didn't go for it on fourth down, Patrick Mahomes was going to win the game. Right. And so that's fun. To, excellence is fun to watch. And Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, Pat Mahomes, those dudes are excellence personified. Yeah, yeah absolutely. All right, good team to adopt, right? It's nice to come into another city and have a superstar nice to like come Patrick into Mahomes right for the ne- on the team. Next 15 years. <laughs> All right, let, let's get back to the food and drink aspect because you mentioned this before. You're a cocktails guy, right? So if yeah. I wanted a good cocktail in Chicago, where would I go? What would I get? And then let's follow up with the same question for Kansas City. So... It's not just about the drink. It's also about the ambiance. Um, yeah. And COVID has kind of destroyed all this. But the Thompson Hotel down on Rush 
Um, they have this live plant wall, sexy bar, moody. The cocktails are on point. They're appropriately <laughs> priced, which means you're not paying like $25 for an old-fashioned. You're paying like right. 18 So <laughs> that would be my go-to spot there for a drink. In Kansas City, there's, oh man, there's so many great places, but um, it's the one place I really love is called Swordfish Tom's. And it's in an alley down a basement. You feel like you're going into Saw's basement. So you don't know if you're going to like a <laughs> horror movie or something. And you get into this basement and they have this green light, red light system where if the red is on, that means you can't come in, just wait. And oh, if it's green, that. go ahead and knock and they'll let you in. So much and cheaper then, than the bouncer, right? <laughs> exactly. And bro, but the drinks, when you watch someone that cares so much about building the perfect cocktail and just the excellence, again, like I'm the dude I could watch you know, Nero dreams of sushi or like Japanese dude, like making a, a wood beam and he's just shaving off these paper thin stuff. I could watch that for hours. So <laughs> right, watching, right. sitting in the bar, watching someone make <laughs> drinks, that's for me, bro. Like Swordfish Times is my go-to. You're like a walking travel guide. I'm really impressed. Bro, I like to get out and live life, man. Like what's the, we're all going to leave this earth at some point and we might as well leave, leave it with some cool ass stories to tell. <laughs> Stanley, this is a lot of fun. We're out of time, though. Oh, thanks, thanks for coming Jen. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, th this was great. All the hype, it was totally spot on. <laughs> so thank you. So if you want to find out more about Stanley Tate and Tate Law, visit TateESQ.com. That's T-A-T-E-E-E-S-Q.com. Now, for those of you listening in Devil's Elbow, Missouri, we've got a great Spotify playlist for this week. In order to late Norm McDonald, I'm dropping Canada's Greatest Hits because my kids fucking love Gordon Lightfoot. Uh, no, no, they don't. I guess we've run out of time for me to read selections from my dream journal, which honestly is probably for the best. Just know that any buffaloes you use were stuffed for safety's sake. And that'll do it for another episode of the Legal Toolkit Podcast, where I'm not not licking toads. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.